uh, we're in the book of Romans and we're doing a series and we're working our way through. And I don't typically do this of going chapter by chapter, but I think it's so important for us if we're, you know, one of the things that we're, uh, we value as, as, as this church is being rooted in scripture and to really understand what scripture means. Um, and then we can apply it to today. It has something to say, but it has something to say first to the people that it was written to. And so we have to understand that. And so there is some work in that, but this is part of also loving the Lord with our minds. You know, it's also looking at these texts and, and, and trying to be thoughtful about them and, uh, and then work our way to the heart where the emotions and the experience of it oftentimes takes place and then into our bodies. So Romans, uh, we began with, um, we're doing this through the series of, of uh, through Lent and, uh, we're also um, practicing fasting, which we'll talk about in a moment. Um, but we start with uh, Romans chapter, we started with Romans chapter one, and we worked our way to chapter three last week. And so I just want a quick review of it. And hopefully this starts to become, as we review it every week, it'll start to get into our minds and we'll start to see the book of Romans as a letter, <laughs> which it is. And it's not just a bunch of random thoughts that we just sort of take and, uh, um, and try to make some sense of it. There is sense to it. It's very uh, majestically written and Romans and, or Paul is just a brilliant thinker. Um, and so some of the writing is difficult just simply because he's that way, but also it's complex because it's written in a day and time where things were, you know, very different in terms of religious practices, right? They had circumcision, they had festivals. So it's a Jewish faith. Um, and it's also written a couple thousand years ago. So the context in the culture uh, is very different then. Um, and then on top of that, as I said, Paul is a very complex writer and he's trying to make sense of what happened in the day, in the time of Jesus um, and how that affected everything. All right. So Romans chapter one, Paul says, this is the problem. And we began with this where he starts out by saying, <clears throat> this is what took place or takes place when people begin to worship resource over source. So he's, this is, this is what we call idolatry. Okay. So it's when we begin to worship resources, when we, when our, our compulsion is driven that we can't restrain ourselves. There's this drive to take uh, something. There's a need that we have and it's all different for all kinds of people. For some people it's, it's physical actual material. For some people, it's relational. Uh, for some people, it's really psychological. It's like, I need to know, I need to gather enough information. I need to anticipate the future. We all have different things. They're sort of compelling us. And Paul says, what ends up happening is these things manifest themselves in the physical and we begin to worship these things, resources, even people. We grab a hold of people and we won't let go. Yeah. And Paul says, that's what happened. This is what results of that is this is all kinds of really detrimental behaviors. You start to do some really bad things. So that's chapter one. And, um, and of course the Jews and the Gentiles were part of the same sort of church now in Rome. The Jews are thinking, well, clearly that's the Gentiles he's talking about. Cause they're all idolaters. They'll worship the many gods. We worship the one God. And Paul says in chapter two, no, 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 not so fast. You're all idolaters, every, every last one of you, Jew and Gentile, which would have floored the Jews because they would have said, no, that's actually the reason why we're strongly opposed to idolatry is because 
That's what led us into exile to begin with, and that's why we're under the thumb of Rome right now, under God's curse. And we're hoping that by following the law religiously, we can get back to being a free people blessed by God. And Paul says, that's actually, and I'm going to hint at this, so we're going to get to this. He says, that's actually the work of the flesh whenever you try to actually make yourself better. That's literally what he says in Romans and in Galatians. It couldn't be more explicit. In Galatians, he actually says it very explicitly. Why are you going back to works? As if that could clean you up, he says. So this is what he says. He says everybody's, everybody's an idolater, including the Jews who have made Yahweh, their God, an idolatrous or an, or an idol. They've turned him into an idol. How have they done that? Well, by, by, by following the law and believing that if I do these things, somehow <clears throat> I'm going to be accepted. And I have thoughts and beliefs about God. And Paul says, all of those things have led every last one of us into idolatry. And that's actually good news because God's grace has come in f- to every one of us, Jew and Gentile alike. And there's a different way that God is moving today. Uh, And then um, we move to chapter three, where he says, where I just said that good news, everyone does this. Some actually follow the spirit um, of the law and they are justified. And then he finishes off by saying, and we're all justified by faith, not by works. And that's where uh, a lot of people, um, you know, a lot of people, uh, theologians, scholars, they see the book of Romans being just, you know, really about this idea of justification by faith. So we're going to explore that today. And um, but there's two things I think you need to know that sort of um, are part of overarching themes in Romans that are not common to our thinking. One is that sin talks about sin, personal sin, individual sin. Uh, collective sin as well. That's what we do today. But then he also talks about the effects of sin. What sin has done to us. This is something that's very few. I've never, I've read tons on Roman scholarly works and theologians. I've never really come across this very much. There's a couple of scholars that have touched on it, but very little has been said about the effects of sin. But Paul is talking about the effects of sin all throughout Romans, really right to chapter 8, where he says, look at how bad it's gotten, that even nature itself is crying out for its redemption, right? Because the effects of sin are generational. It goes down the line, right? The next chapter we're going to look at next week, he actually says that through Adam, sin came to all and, and death came. So these are iconic terms. You have to understand the way he's treating these are large terms, iconic terms, death. It means a lot of different things. It's almost a symbolic word. It does not mean literally dying. It means a whole lot more than that. It means the effects that sin and death have within us is to, is to rob us of hope, right? So when we're robbed of hope, what is that like? It's a, it's, it's a death, Sin is a separation in relationship when we're, when, we're, when we're cut off from somebody, right? How many of you have lost a relationship? And what did it feel like in your soul when you were betrayed, when you lost a connection with somebody? It, it, it's, a, it's a death, right? So this is the way Paul's using this term is to speak about all the effects of sin, right? Ongoingly, even to the effect that it affects um, us biologically, physiologically. There are sins that affect us to that level. And Paul's talking about that in Romans, 
So he's saying what Jesus has done is to address the sins that we commit personally, but also the effects and the results. Because when we're affected by sin, guess what? We also act out in sin. This is this point he's making is when you, you take any one of us, right? We've, the way we were raised, there are certain effects of how we were raised that then we have a hard time getting over those and the effects of our behavior as a result of that sin that was passed down to us is less than good. Are you with me? This isn't just psychology. This is like rooted in Paul's thinking. It's like, this is the effect. It's so devastating and I, and, I, and I don't want to jump ahead to, to Romans 5. We're going to get there. But that's the point he's making in Romans 5 is that through Adam, complete death just went whoom, right through the entire world. But then he says, through Christ, guess what? Something even greater than what Adam could ever do has happened to the whole world as well. But to our minds, we say, well, I can see death, Joel. I'm with you. I can see it everywhere. I can see, I can see the effects of sin everywhere. But do you see the effects of grace everywhere? Because Paul's setting these two up. And he's saying, if you don't see it, that's because you haven't been converted in your heart yet you, and in your mind. You, don't, you need to be converted, converted in your mind to begin to see grace. Because even though sin came through Adam, grace came through Christ and has had an even wider spread effect is what Paul says in Romans 5. That's mind-blowing. Absolutely mind-blowing to think that that could be true. But, but one system, and this is why movies like The Matrix and other movies really capture this idea. These, these are really gospel sort of films, believe it or not. <laughs> They're so, I mean, it's like you read this stuff in Romans and you go, how could... How could the writer of Matrix know that? Like, it's so brilliant because it is. You have alternate realities. And that's what Paul is saying is you live in one or you live in the other. And the only difference is faith. That's the only difference is if you actually believe that grace has come to this world, then you can actually live a grace-filled life and the effects are ongoing. Right? Yeah, it starts by stop watching the yeah, stop watching the news exactly. You ever hear of chaos theory? The butterfly effect? Okay. So that idea of what a butterfly does in one part of the world can create a tornado in another part of the world, right? So there's a lot of th- theory around, there's a lot of um, you know, thinking that goes on around that. Well, flip that to the opposite, because that's true. But also when someone does something good, it can have a widespread effect that's eternal. Adam brought sin, Christ brought grace. See that? The chaos theory. It happens even there in the space of spirituality. In you and I, the only difference between whether we live in one or the other has to do with faith. This reason why when I have conversations with atheists, we get along great. I have no problem with the conversations with atheists. Because what I say to them is, I totally understand from a rational standpoint why you'd have questions. Totally. I have no problem with. In fact, I can go right along and make the same argument you do. And and you would think I'm on your side. But the question to to me ends up being very practical. How is it impacting your life on a day-to-day basis? Are you filled with hope? Does it lead you to 
actually be a more generative person, generous person, a more loving person, a more grace-filled person. If it does, then fantastic. Don't believe in God. I'm with you. But to my mind, the idea of God is this very thing, that grace has come into the world and there is hope and you can change. And for me, that's the wonderful news in the book of Romans is because Paul just sort of scrambles this whole thing up and says, you know, it's no more Jews and Gentiles and male and female and slaves and free. It's none of that, none of that. It's only one thing. The difference is, do you believe or do you not believe? If you believe, everything can change. If you don't, then the only options you have are the continuance of death that has come through this person of Adam. Does that make sense? So this is kind of the mindset of, of, of Romans. And then when you get to this justified by faith stand is, is just what I just described. Standing by, you're, you're justified by faith in one sense that you're forgiven. All is forgiven in this moment and is, was forgiven in the past and will be forgiven in the future. It's all been forgiven completely. This is a hard concept for the evangelical world who preaches this. It's, the hard, it's harder for us by far. That God has forgiven all of our sins from the past, the present, and the future. Well, yeah, but you, you, still, have to, you still have to ask for forgiveness. No, you don't. There's no asking for forgiveness in the Bible. I know that may surprise some of you, but, but actually read it. You'll find that there's no asking for forgiveness of sins. <laughs> there's only one thing, receiving forgiveness. It's already been given. You see, once again, there's the two worlds. There's the world of grace and the world of death. Faith is the only difference. You either receive it because you see it, and you say, I receive forgiveness in this moment for all of my sins. The ones I've, the things I failed at this week, the intentions, the commitments I made didn't follow through. I receive forgiveness. So you're justified in that sense. And then Paul goes on to say, and by the way, not only are you justified by faith in this moment, but you're justified by faith ongoingly, meaning you in faith begin to act differently based on this love that you have received. So you act differently. That's what begins to change your behaviors, your thoughts, your feelings. Okay. So this is the reason why Paul says, shall we go on sinning in chapter six? Because grace is all there. So just go on sinning. And he says, of course not. <laughs> See, when you've received the grace of Jesus Christ, when you've received God's love for you, now you move out in that way. And I'm already wrapping up my sermon by saying that. Okay, so let's, let me read some scripture. How about that? How about we actually read some passages here from Romans? I'm not going to read the whole passage, uh, whole chapter of Romans 4. It's pretty lengthy, but we'll, we'll do a big chunk of it. Um, so we'll start in chapter uh, 4, verses 1 through, I believe, 3, and then we'll skip down um, somewhere around 17 and finish off the chapter. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter. Okay, so, so this is going to be a little complicated because, again, this is Romans, Paul's thinking in Romans. Abraham is what 
ethnicity and what religion's forefather. The Jewish faith, right? Paul is Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. Okay, it's a very Jewish faith. It's not a Gentile faith. So he's saying, Abraham, according to the flesh. He's always going to contrast. He does a lot of contrasting in Romans. Flesh, spirit, flesh, spirit. Okay, according to the flesh, Abraham's our father. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. Why? What does scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's in Genesis, I believe, 17. Okay, so he believed and was credited. What did he believe? What was happening? As it is written, verse 17, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He had believed what? He had believed that God would give him a child in his old age. He was 100 years old when he had his uh, first son. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to things or to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Don't you love that? God's the one who says, oh, that's dead? I'm going to call that to life. That's when I do my best work. Oh, you've got, a, you, you've, got, you've got a problem in your life? You've got crises in your life? Ooh. In the beginning, the heavens and the earth, what, 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 was, what was happening in the beginning? There was chaos. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. Those two words in Hebrew are words of chaos, disorder. And then God begins to create order, right? God comes into that space. God calls things that are not as though they were before they ever change. Right, so that's what, that's what he's saying through Abraham is like, you're, you're the father of many nations. Really? I only, I don't have a kid yet. Do you believe? Mm, I'm having a hard time. Good, you're part of the human race. We're all there. But that's what God's calling out of you. Do you believe? Two systems, system of death and a system of grace. Against all hope, <clears throat> Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. By the way, this is, this is a lie. He, he did not really believe. Right? He doubted. He had his, I mean, it's clear in Genesis, he doubted. But why is, is Paul saying without, he didn't waver in his faith? It's because even though he doubted and failed and made mistakes, right? Remember Hagar? Remember, remember that whole scenario? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, and, and, and Sarah laughing and Sarah laughs and doesn't believe, right? And later on in Hebrews 11, it says she didn't doubt, but she believed. It's like, why does scripture do that? Because it, it isn't measured by the moment of failure. This is how we measure things from moment to moment. I failed God this week because I didn't follow through my intentions. But if you get back up and you keep moving in faith, the judgment from God over you is you are a person of faith because you got up, not because you fell. That's not how I measure. That's not how I judge you. It's not by your many fallings, but by your many risings in faith. Come on. It's not by the falling, but it's by the rising. Many of us judge ourselves by the falling all the time because we fall. 
But Christ looks at you in me and says, I judge you by your rising up because you walk by faith even in the midst of the storm. And faith is not something that happens up here. It's something that happens when you just get yourself back up, when you still move forward, when you still pray, when you still cry out to God in anger because he's not answering you. God still sees that as, but your, your arrow of your life is still pointed to me. Even though you're angry, even though you're doubting, I just so love that because that's us. It doesn't leave any one of us out here in this room. So long as we keep rising up. All right, since he was about 100 years old and Sarah's womb was also dead, this is why uh, he is credited with faith is that he keeps moving forward. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were not written for him alone, but, for all, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus Christ, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Paul says this over and over again. Was delivered over for our sins. Was delivered to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Over and over again, he says this. Amen. And we'll get into that in the weeks to come, what that means. So again, as I had uh, already kind of concluded my sermon about 10 minutes ago, works of the flesh, Paul says, are this thing. We fall short. Those are the works of the flesh when we fall short and when we try harder. <laughs> it's, a, it's an amazing thing that Paul would put those two things as works of the flesh to me. Because it's very weak. I looked at my intentions and my commitments and I fell short. And this morning as I'm preparing and I'm praying and I'm um, taught, I'm just wrestling through this stuff and I'm saying, God, I have fallen short again in some of these areas. Um, I, you know, I, I, I just felt that, that what typically drives most of us to try harder is guilt and shame. I go, okay. I got to just work harder. I got to try harder and I will. And I commit to that. That's what I said. But I've learned to tune into my heart. And when my heart is not the emotions, like the emotions of, of and the sense of connection, that love connection that I, I like experiencing with God, when I don't feel that, and I feel disconnected from my heart. That's a good indication. I'm not really close. I'm not really in touch with what God is trying to say to me. <laughs> so things like, okay, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. It'll come. And so I just stayed there, stayed present. And that's when the lights went on. And it was, those are the works of the flesh. And so what I did is I put my hands over my heart and I said, I failed this week in a number of areas, but I receive your love and your forgiveness for me by faith, because I am justified by faith because of what Jesus did. And then I began to feel that warmth again. Come back. And I said, I won't try. It's not about trying harder. It's something different. 
the works of the Spirit is we receive forgiveness. Every single day, I receive your forgiveness, and then we move out in love. We're compelled by love. See, there's, two, there's, there's oftentimes, not, not two motivations, there's many motivations, but there's maybe two categories. There's the motivations that are driven by the flesh and the motivations that are driven by spirit. The ones that are driven by flesh are, um, are so many. The ones that are motivated by spirit are primarily one, and that is love. Do you love? And back to my intentions. I want to do this, I want to do that, and I want to, there was three things. I want to do this, that, and the other. Right? And it was all tied into the fasting thing that we're doing this, this uh, season. And the question I ask myself is, how is this that I've committed a loving act to people around me? And do I want to move out in love? And after receiving forgiveness, my heart was warm enough to say, yes, I do. I want to move in love and I want to be compelled by love, not by any other motivation. The other ones don't work. I've tried them all. You've tried them all. Right? And they don't really work. They're not sustainable. The motivations to grab a hold of things, the motivations to feel secure, to feel safe, to feel pleasure, to feel strong, to feel helpful. To we have all kinds of motivations. All these motivations that are driving us are not sustainable. And they're the works of the flesh. But when we say to ourselves, what is the truly loving thing to do? I even had to do one loving for myself. I even had to say, how have I not been loving my own body this week? That was a tough one for me because I, put, I, don't, I don't treat my body very well. I don't know how to say no to some of my ambitions. I, I, I went too hard this week on, on physical stuff like racquetball <laughs> and lifting on the same day, multiple days. And my body felt it, and I, but I, and I knew it, and I was like, I should pull back. But someone's like, hey, want another game? And I said, yeah, of course. Now, that seems trivial, right? But there's a whole lot of other things that I'm doing along those lines, and a bunch of them. And I'm not listening, and I had to go back to, am I loving this body that God gave me? Am I taking care of it? Am I loving this mind? by feeding it the things that are really helpful to it? Am I loving my heart? You know, my, what, what, what am I doing in terms of uh, connection with my wife, connection with people that I love? To be deeply connected, not just connected at the superficial level. Right? So these things are, are like, am I loving? Am I moving out in love? Because if you're moving out in love, you're moving by the spirit and then your behaviors change. That's the path forward because everything else is driven by the flesh. And that's what Paul is saying. And it's so much easier, right? It's automatic. As much as I've talked about this, my first thought this, to this morning was, I got to try harder. <laughs> it's the first thought driven by, by, by the motivation of shame and guilt. I've got to try harder. So this is the path forward for us. And so we claim in this moment, I am justified by faith. I am forgiven right now. And we do this every day. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I'm loved. 
And now, how do I want to move out today? Do I want to move out in love? Yes. And this is a practice. It's a practice that's very practical. It's doing this every day. Does that make sense? Yeah.